Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. How we doing? We good? We good. You got some good energy today. It's not as good as mine, but you got some good energy today. I'm, uh, I'm glad that you're here, and what a great season it's been over the last few weeks. I told you about six weeks ago that March was going to be a hustle, and March was a hustle. Uh, we had at the movies, and man, just a fantastic time together over those three weeks, and uh, it was just amazing to meet so many of your friends and family members that you invited to come and be with you for at the movies. Uh, we, we had a, a great number of first-time guests and folks that had kind of not been in church for a while and, and came back to church, and so it was great to see them as well, and uh, just, uh, just a really great time, but more so than just a great time, more so than popcorn and fun, and the kids had a blast upstairs. If you haven't seen the pictures of the glow party that they had last week to kind of just talk about Jesus was the light of the world, you don't have to be afraid of the dark. They had a glow party last week, and I almost left y'all to go hang out with them. I mean, it was awesome, but more so than all of that, over the course of those three weeks, we had 14 people say yes to Jesus Christ to accept him as their Lord and Savior. Absolutely. That's a good spot to clap. And it's not just about movies. It's not just about those things, though that is a huge part of what we do for those three weeks. But 14 people, their eternity changed forever. And, uh, and I'm so thankful for that. And then on Sunday nights, every, every week during the month of March, we had couple to couple. We had over 50 couples come to be a part of couple to couple and invest in their relationship. Most of the, the overwhelming majority of those couples were married, not all of them were, but just to invest in their relationship and to really learn some foundational truths about what it is that God was calling them to and to improve communication and conflict resolution and all of those things. But we had a blast. We had a lot of fun. We laughed a ton. Last week, last Sunday night was a costume party. You had to be a famous pair. And honestly, I've, I haven't laughed that hard in a long, long time. So I'm giving you an 11 and a half month heads up that you need to be at couple to couple next spring, okay? So if you weren't there, go ahead and just say, hey, Siri, just remind me, she did on my watch right there, but hey, you know, you need to remind me that in 11 months to register for couple to couple, uh, but man, just a great, great month together. And then you heard just a few minutes ago from, from Garrett that we've got Easter weekend coming in uh, about two weekends, and so we have Good Friday on that Friday night, the 15th. We're doing what we call Come to the Table and it's a, an interactive, really reflective experience. We'll be sitting around round tables together. It's a free event. It's a free service. But we do ask you to register um, just so that we can keep, kind of be prepared and plan for the number of people that will be here for the tables and the chairs since it's a different setup. So we would love for you to go online and register to be a part of that. Come to the table night on Good Friday at 7 p.m. That would help us a lot. And then on Easter Sunday, the 17th, 9:30 and 11, it's going to be a great day. We're going to celebrate. We're going to uh, just kind of talk about the hope that we have because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We want you to be here, but we don't want you to come alone. So we want you to bring some folks with you, invite them to come. Easter is one of those high invite type Sundays where people will say yes to an invitation to come to church. And one of the ways that we want to equip you to do that is we would love for you to pick up today uh, one of these car clings. It says, follow me to Generations Church, or to Easter at Generations Church. And it's got our website. This won't take the paint off your car. Um, you can put this on your window or the side or whatever you want to. I would encourage you to put it on the back because the wind will just kind of rip it right off the side. If you don't believe me, ask my son, Cooper. So um, there's two things that I would tell you to do. One, just go ahead and wipe the pollen off before you put it on or it won't stick. And then two, if you struggle with road rage, please do not put this on your car. 
Like if you, if you're going to yell at folks that cut you off, like just lead them to another place. Don't lead them back here. Like, um, we love you. We just don't want to be associated with you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm in a good mood today. It's going to, we're not sure what I'm going to say the rest of the time, but we'd love for you to pick one of these up today and put that on your car and just drive around. I've, I've had mine on my car for about three days and I've gotten some crazy looks at some red lights and things, but, um, I would love for you to do that and just help us to get folks here for Easter Sunday. Today, we are beginning a journey towards Easter. And as I've been preparing for uh, really these next two Sundays, uh, I, I have been asking the Lord to, to really speak into my heart so that I wouldn't just show up to Easter, but I would be prepared for Easter. You know what I mean? Like there's a difference. That I wouldn't just like wake up on Easter and be like, it's Easter. Like I would be preparing for Easter all the way to it. And so over the next two Sundays, we're going to look at some of the events of the life and ministry of Jesus really leading up to that event, those last few days of Jesus's life. And today, if you got a Bible, we're not going to throw it up on the screen yet, but if you got a Bible, I'd love for you to go to John chapter 13. If you got an app, you can do that. If you don't have a Bible, you don't own one, and you'd like one, you can go to the Information Center after church today. We'd love to give you a Bible. But John chapter 13, this is one of those stories that we're going to read together, that, and I'm going to read a chunk of text today, but really kind of sets up something that we often overlook. I mean, it's, it's talked about in the church, but it's, it's so often overlooked because it's just a little different. It's just something we don't talk about as much. But when I read this story in preparation for today, if I were to title this message, I would just call it like three things I learned at dinner with Jesus. I think there's some questions that come out of this story that I could ask of myself, or God's word is asking of me, that really helped to challenge me about what God may be calling me to do and to be as I look to the example of Jesus Christ. So not only do I want you to turn to John 13, maybe grab a pen out of the seat back in front of you and maybe mark in the margins there, write some of these questions down or jot them in the notes app on your phone, because I do believe for all of us, these can be challenging and really help us to learn all that God would have for us, not just today, but really leading us towards Easter and beyond. Let's begin reading in verse 1 of John chapter 13. It says this, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. And Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head also, not just my feet. And Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you, for Jesus knew who would betray him. And that is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again, and he sat down and he asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. What a powerful, powerful story. And I've been in some services where we actually washed one another's feet. That's not what we're doing today. So some of you can just relax, all right? 
But as we read this story, I think there's several great truths. I think there's some things that we see in the interaction between Jesus and his disciples that help us to really understand what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Not just to follow him in the good times. Not, not just to want the blessings and what he can give to us out of his hands, but really to follow in the example of what he actually did as he was walking on the earth. And next week, we're going to continue in that thought. But as we look to this story of where he washed the disciples' feet, I think there's several things that I want us to remember as we read this story in preparation for Easter. And they all, in today's form, they come in the form of a question. The first question that comes out of this passage to me is this. What does love command of me? What does love command of me? Verse 1 of what we just read, it said this. It said, he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Can I be honest with you? There's a trap in preaching sometimes. Preaching and teaching, kind of what I'm doing here. There's a trap sometimes. Because sometimes we actually have a thought of like what we want to say, and we need the text to match that. Right? It's like, oh man, if it just said it this way, I could preach it this way. But there's times that as we want to preach it that way or teach it that way, that's not actually what the Bible says. So what we have to do is we have to read the text and be true to the text and actually say what the text says. Well, in this instance, you don't have to work very hard. It's right there. Before he ever washes the disciples' feet, we, we find out that he loved them. He didn't just like them. He didn't just enjoy hanging out with them. He, didn't, he wasn't just thankful that they could do a lot of things for him and in his ministry and around him and that they were present when all the cool things happened. And it, it wasn't that. It says that he loved his disciples during his ministry on the earth. And now, knowing that his time was come to, the, to an end, he loved them to the very end. And out of that great love, he washes their feet. And he does so in a way that I think challenge all of us, and, and I don't necessarily want to indict you, so I'll just indict me. But man, when I think about that, it, it causes me to ask this question, what does love command of me? I love when I walk around our church. I love standing in the lobby after church when I'm shaking hands and talking to people and listening to the conversations that are taking place around me. And I hear so many people say, I love you. Love you too. People are hugging as they leave. Love you, man. Love you, lady. Right? I love you. Like, I love hearing those phrases because it tells me that this is a place where, like, people are finding community, finding relationships. And if you're not at that place, you're like, I don't, I don't know if I love anybody here yet. Just hang around a little longer. Like, they're going to force you to. They're going to make you do. They're going to say, I love you to you until it makes you uncomfortable. When Corey and I started dating, we had actually been friends for a long time. And so, like, when we got to that place, you, some of you, it's been a long, long time, but, like, if you remember when you got to that place where you wanted to say, I love you, but you weren't sure if you could say it, because if you said it and they didn't say it, like, that's awkward. So you're like, but here's the problem. Corey had been telling me that she loved me as a friend. Like, she friends on me at an early age, right? She had been telling me that she loved me for a long, long time. And so now I'm trying to figure out, like, how do I say I love you, but I don't just love you like we were 14-year-old friends, like, I love you, right? How do I, how do I say that to her? 
And so I came up with some, I mean, this should be in a romantic comedy. I came up with this. I was like, listen, when I tell you that I love you, like in a different way than just like, I love you. Hey, I love you. I'm going to the Walmart. I love you. Like when I tell you I love you, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, how about them braves? And you'll know. You and some of you are like, that is so cheesy. Listen, cheese is okay. Everybody likes nachos. Like, it's fine. I would say to her, how about them braves? And she knew. It was butterflies, warm tinglies. Like, she knew what I meant by that. And so what I'm saying to you is like, you have to find a way to express love to people. It doesn't matter what it looks like or what it sounds like necessarily, but you've got to find a way to get the affection and the emotions that you feel towards someone out to them. Because if they don't hear you say it, if they don't see you express it, they don't know. It doesn't matter how much you think it. If you don't find a way to let your spouse or your children or your friends or the people in your G group or the people on the team that you serve, if you don't find a way to express to them that you actually do love them, the people on your na- in your neighborhood and the people on your street and the people on your ball team and the people that work on your shift at work, like if you don't find a way to express to them how you feel about them, they assume that you don't feel that way. But I believe that we are all called to love one another. That's actually what John chapter 13 says later in the chapter. It says this in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. We are called to love people. And we see that in the life and the ministry of Jesus. And we see that here at this last supper where Jesus loved these disciples. And out of his great love for them, we see this incredible act of service. It's easy to love people that love you. It's easy. Like if you've got somebody in your life that loves you, it's, it's easy to love them back. But beyond that, think about who was in the room with Jesus. Judas was in the room. The guy that betrayed him was, was actually sitting at the table. The guy that was going to go and lead the officials to Jesus so that he could be arrested and then whipped and beaten all the way to his death was sitting in the room. And there's no out clause to what we just read. He loved his disciples, including Judas. There's a guy sitting in the room, Peter, who would deny Jesus out of fear for his own life. His love for Jesus in that instance only rose to whatever it cost him, but wouldn't cost him his life. He had said to Jesus earlier, which we're going to unpack a little bit later, like next week, like, hey, I love you. I'll go to death. I'll do everything. you." But like when a little girl came and said, like, aren't you one of his disciples? Like, no, no, I don't even know that guy. So he just loved him a certain amount, right? Or maybe his love just was demonstrated a certain amount. Peter was going to deny him sitting in the room. Jesus loved his disciples. How hard is it to love people that don't love you back? How hard is it to love people that deny you, betray you, hurt you? It's hard. And yet as followers of Jesus Christ, it's exactly what we're called to do. We're not just called to love those who love us in return. Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28 says this, but to those of you who will listen, which not everyone will, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. 
Like following Jesus is not always this pie in the sky, like really nice and warm, fuzzy thing. It's a call to something higher. It's a call to do something that stands out in the midst of a world that loves people who love them, but hates people who disagree with them. And yet you and I are called to express the love of God that is modeled to us by our Savior, by loving people who talk bad about us, by like giving of ourselves and our best to those who disagree with us, and beyond just disagreeing silently, they mistreat us. We are called to love those people. It's what we're called to do. If we will listen, we got to love our enemies and do good to those who hate us and bless those who curse us and pray for those who mistreat us. When was the last time you prayed for somebody that mistreated you? Not like prayed the Psalms, like, Lord, fire from heaven should consume their household. <laughs> I've prayed that prayer this week. But I'm talking about praying like, Lord, bless them. Not, Lord, change their mind and let them see things the way I see see it, but, Lord, bless them. Lord, Lord, let your favor rest upon them. Let them experience your love like never before. That's what we're called to do. And the moment that we do that, we become outliers because that is not happening in this world. Here's the second question that comes out of this story. Am I secure enough to serve? Am I secure enough to serve? Look at verse three. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. Jesus knew that he had all the authority that he could ever need. He was secure in his identity. We talked about that a little bit last week in our At The Movies message from 42. That in and of itself is this beautiful thing. Someone who's secure and who knows who they are, that's awesome to watch. They just kind of walk with a confidence, not an arrogance, but a confidence and a peace that so many of us maybe lack or have lacked at different points in our life. That's why middle school's so tough, because ain't nobody secure. Nobody knows who they are. And so they take it out on everybody else because on the inside, they don't know who they are, and so they try to make everybody else feel insecure too. Like Jesus knew who he was. He was secure in his identity and his purpose. You ever worked for anybody that was an insecure leader? Don't raise your hand. You ever worked for somebody that was an, I know I have. What happens is that insecurity is often manifested externally, but it's actually an internal issue. It comes out of a place of discontent, comes out of a place of fear and worry and concern that people are going to find out that maybe we're a fraud, we don't know who we are, we don't know what we're here for. Often the people who are constantly reminding others who they are and the position that they hold, they're the people that are the most insecure because they got to remind you that they're in charge and they're the leader and that you're good for nothing and they're better than you and they outrank you and whatever that looks like. Like Those are often the people that on the inside are the most insecure and that's not what we see from Jesus. Later in this passage, what we already read, but Jesus says at the end of this, he says, you call me Lord and teacher and that's right. Like, that's not arrogant that he would say, you're right in calling me that because that's who I am. And yet what we see here in the security of Jesus is that he took off his robe. He took off his titles. He took off his position. 
And he knelt down and he washed their feet. Now, this was not like the first time any of them had ever had their feet washed. Whenever you would enter into a home or enter into a place where you were going to eat, they did not sit at tables like you and I will sit at at the Mexican restaurant in a few minutes, okay? They didn't sit with their feet up underneath the table in a chair with the table over top and all the food on top removed from their dirty, rotten feet because they wore sandals and some of them went barefoot. And so like they were walking around on the dirt and dust all the time. Animals used the same roadways they used often. And so they were stepping in mud and all kinds of other filth. They were sitting at these very low tables. If this is the ground, they were sitting at tables that were on the ground. And so they would be reclining like at the table. And so often they would sit down with their knees at the table with their feet just behind them. So they're eating food about a foot and a half from their dirty feet. And so what would happen is that whenever you entered the home and you were going to eat a meal in that home, the lowest servant in the house would wash the feet of every person that was going to take part in that meal. And so while you were fellowshipping and greeting one another and having some small talk, somebody's sitting there, you're just talking, somebody's sitting there washing all the dirtiness off of your travels, off of your feet, so that you would be prepared to sit at the meal with those other people. Jesus was not the lowest servant in the room. He had more authority than anybody in the room. And so the question becomes, am I secure enough to serve other people? on my job and in my home and in other places in my life, if I know I have more authority than anybody else in the room, how do I leverage that authority for the sake of other people? How do I take everything that has been given to me and the titles that I wear, how do I take off those robes and humble myself to serve someone else? That's what we see in the example of Jesus Christ, that his security allowed him to serve. Matthew chapter 20, 25 and 28, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are called to serve other people. We do that here at Generations Church. The first way for you to jump into serving is to attend Discovery Track. Today is the beginning of Discovery Track. If you're in the 930 service, you have an advantage over those at the 11 service because Discovery Track meets during the 11 o'clock service. You go today, you're going to join the 10 other people who are already registered. We're going to let you crash the party. You can jump in and be a part of Discovery Track. If not this month, you jump in next month. But this is not a self-serving kind of advertisement like, hey, you need to jump on the team here. No, no, no. We are called to serve. Let's find a way to serve other people. Let's give of our time. We huddle together at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning with most of the people that will serve throughout the day in both services. And, And when they were coming in this morning, I said to them, like, we have an incredible opportunity to serve the people that come in. And they've done that today. And they're going to continue to do that because that's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus Christ. Author Patrick Lencioni is one of my favorites. He's a leadership author. He said that he's on a mission to rid the world of the phrase servant leadership because he said it's unnecessary. It's redundant. If you are not a servant, you are not actually a leader. So whatever title you have on your job, whatever title you have in your home, whatever title you have on the ball field or in the classroom, 
If you feel like you are a leader, you are actually a servant, according to the words of Jesus Christ. Do not try to be a servant leader. Just be a servant, and it will position you to lead. That is what God is calling us to do. Here's the third question. What am I modeling? What am I modeling? Continue reading in verse 12. It says, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. And I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. If you're a Christ follower in the room, and I don't want to assume that you are, I recognize there are people in this room every single week who are choosing to belong here before they yet believe. And this is a safe place for you to do that. It's a safe place for you to bring people with you who want to do that. They're trying to figure it out. This is a place for them to do that. But if you are a Christ follower in the room, you're saying, I want to follow the example of Jesus Christ. Here you go. Here you go. This is one of those very specific things we know he did that he asks us to do, to serve other people, to wash other people's feet. Like This is the example. I love the story of the kindergartner who showed up to school on the first day with a note from her mom. The note read, we've had a few older siblings come to kindergarten, so we know you'll hear lots of stories about us at home. Don't believe everything you hear. That afternoon, the little girl came home with a, from school with a note from the teacher that says, no worries. We won't believe everything we hear if you don't believe everything you hear about us either. <laughs> words aren't always enough to tell the whole story. But actions speak louder than words. And Jesus said, I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done. This isn't the only place in scripture that we find that kind of command. Right? This is, this is one of those places. Deuteronomy 6, where we draw the name of our church says that moms and dads are supposed to take the law and impress it upon their children. To say to their sons and daughters, like, this is what it means to follow Jesus Christ. This is what I'm trying to live my life built upon, and this is what you should do as well. And like, talking about it when you walk down the street and putting it on the doorpost of your home, letting it be an active part of your conversation. Titus chapter 2 in the New Testament tells the older men and the older women to model for the younger men and the younger women what it means to live in pursuit of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, follow me as I follow Christ. To those people in the city of Corinth who were establishing a church and trying to figure out what it meant to live in pursuit of a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a model, there's an example, there are commands. And we don't get to pick and choose which ones we wanna follow and which ones we don't. We don't get to say like, I like these, so I'm gonna do these, and I don't like those, so I'm not gonna do those. It's like, no, we read the whole scripture and we ask the Holy Spirit to work in our life to help us to determine what it is that we are supposed to do in our lives that honor and please the Lord. What does obedience look like? Partial obedience is still disobedience. Like what does full obedience to God look like? That's what we're called to. And in this instance, he says, listen, I've given you an example. And so how are we living? How are we living? What example are we setting for other people? 
Could we say the words that the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ? Could we be the kind of people that were using the example of Titus chapter 2 so that the older men and the older women knew that the younger men and younger women were watching them and what it looked like to follow him and to live and grow in relationship? Like, could we be those kind of examples? If my children could only use the words that they heard me use, would I be okay with that? If the people on my job who serve on my team or serve in my classroom or serve on the, on the teams that I coach, or like if those people could only live in such a way as they had seen me live, if they only got to mirror back to me what they saw me project to them, would I be okay with that? What am I modeling? Am I modeling my life after the life of Jesus Christ? Am I being guided by love? Am I secure enough in my identity to serve? Am I following his example in the way that I live and the words that I use with my life? Every two years in our church, we appoint elder couples. You often just see them on Sunday mornings, standing at the side of the stage, prepared to pray with you and for you. But they do so many other things. They, they pray during the week. We, we share prayer requests together. They lead in various places of ministry throughout our church. But when when I'm asking them to consider serving, I give them a document. There's a number of places in the, in the Bible, most specifically in the New Testament, that give the biblical qualifications of what's called eldership. So I give them that and I say, hey, I'm asking you because I think you meet these qualifications, but I want you to read it and prayerfully ask the Lord, do I meet these qualifications? And if you don't, you come back and tell me, I don't think I'm ready. And there's no hard feelings. But if you say, I'm not ready, then... And we want to help walk with you in another way. But if you feel like, yeah, I meet these qualifications, then I want you to serve as an elder couple. But I always say this phrase to every single elder couple we've ever recruited. Like, what is eldership? This is the example I give them. If I'm standing in the lobby on a Sunday, and someone walks up to me and says, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What, what does it mean to live in relationship with him? What does it mean to be imperfect but in pursuit? What does it mean? What does it look like? That I should look across the lobby and my eyes should catch an elder couple walking by and I should say, follow them. They aren't perfect. They don't claim to be. But they're in pursuit of a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. They're modeling their life after the ministry and the life and the teaching of the Savior. They've aligned their lives to the words of Scripture to the best of their ability, and they're asking the Holy Spirit to continue to guide and lead them in that pursuit. Just follow their example as they follow Jesus Christ. That's what eldership looks like in the context of our church. Can I just say to you, I want a church that's always filled with people just like that. People that are in that kind of pursuit. People that are growing, modeling their life, loving people well, secure enough to serve. I want a church with a ton of those people in it. But I also want a church filled with people who are looking for examples. I want people who are outside of a relationship with Jesus who walk into this place and they may not even know why they got here. They were compelled by the Holy Spirit, but they may not be able to articulate that. They were invited by a friend and they're just showing up because they're going to lunch afterwards. But when they walk into this place, the power of the gospel captures their heart and they're trying to figure out what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. And I can point them to you you can point them to Jesus. What am I modeling? So we're going to pray today. 
And there may be some of you that say, hey, I'm not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we want to give you the chance to change that today. But for others of us, we're going to ask those questions. God, what is it that love commands of me? God, am I secure enough to serve? And God, what am I modeling with my life? It's some lessons I've learned at dinner with Jesus. If you'll bow your heads, close your eyes just for a moment. If you would say to me today, Jeremy, for me, I need to accept him as the Lord and Savior of my life. I need to ask him to forgive my sins and to lead my life from this point forward. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? We want to pray for you. You can put it right down. Thank you so much. Several hands just went up. Thank you so much. You're not alone if you want to lift your hand. And now if you would say to me, Jeremy, for me, it's one of those three questions I'm asking God to do today. Help me to know what love commands of me, to know if I'm secure enough to serve, to know what I'm modeling, and if there's some error in either of those three things that the the Lord would work in my life in this week. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So many of us today, my hand's lifted. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for our time. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to gather, and I thank you for worship, and I thank you for prayer, and I thank you for your word. And God, I thank you that through your word, we can have dinner with Jesus. And sitting around this meal, we see him model for us something that convicts us and challenges us. So God, I pray for every person right now that recognizes they are not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. God, as they lifted their hands, they were acknowledging their their sinful state, and we have all been there. So God, we thank you now for their self-awareness and the work of the Holy Spirit, the kindness that draws us to repentance. And so God, I pray that you would forgive their sins and be the Lord of their life, changing their eternity forever right now. God, now I pray for every hand that was lifted to say, if, if I see what love commands of me, there's something still lacking. If I ask if I'm secure enough to serve, there's some things still lacking. And if I ask what I'm modeling, I'm, I'm afraid there's still some things that I need to work out through the work of God in my heart and life. God, so many of us lifted our hands today, so help us to allow you to continue to do that work to shape us and mold us more into your character and your nature. Let us be fully obedient to all that you're calling of us. And God, we thank you for all that you will accomplish. Let this continue to be a place where people are in pursuit of you and all that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.